Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper. It's episode 110. 110, can you believe it? It's your old buddy, your old pal DJ Payne here. And on this fortnight's episode, Matthew Jacoby and myself are trekking through the Gospel of Luke. We've got a big slog ahead of us. We want to get through chapters 7, 8, 9, 10. Let's see if we can get into chapter 11. I know it's a lot of chapters because old Dr. Luke, he liked to write them long. Also on this week's episode, I'm really excited to announce a very special app from a very special musical group. I'm going to tell you about that in the announcement halfway through the episode, so keep on listening. But right now, turn to the Gospel of Luke as we watch a pivotal moment in Jesus Christ's public ministry on earth. This is some amazing stuff as we get into this week's Thrive Deeper. One hundred and ten episodes, Matthew Jacoby. That many. Uh, this is our hundredth and tenth deeper podcast. And that's not even counting all the Thrive Perspectives podcasts. And for our old school listeners, it's not really even counting the original deeper podcast that we did for a year. Wow, that's like 110. That's probably about 150 hours, as, as well as all the other. Wow. <laughs> Do you think we've grown closer <laughs> as a result? I, I think we have. I think we have. I wanted, I wanted to, uh, you know, to do a little bit of a crossover thing there. Before the end of the year on our sister podcast on Thrive Perspectives, I do want to do a little bit more of an insight personal thing for, for, the, for you and I about this process. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to convince you of that one there. <laughs> but, hey, listen, we're, we're in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, and I tell you what um, – I, I I say this every week. I am so loving yeah. reading this afresh mm. and going through the life of Christ through through Luke's eyes here. So I wanted to I wanted to kick off because we want to get through chapter seven. We're going to try to get all the way to chapter mm. eleven. But I thought we could I, I could kick off really quickly if you if you're just tuning in for the first time. This is our uh, <laughs> third episode on the Gospel of Luke, yeah. um, and I just want to give you a quick update of of what we're doing and what's it all about. So. So the Gospel of Luke is one half of a major work in our Bible. It's Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts is one big work by the author Luke. Uh, Luke, of uh, we believe, is probably a Gentile doctor who worked really closely with Paul, was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and the unusual thing about, uh, you know, the Gentile doctor was he obviously knew a lot about the Old Testament and he brings that out. Now, mm. the reason why he is writing this massive chunk of the New Testament in Luke and Acts is to tell, the, he, he lets us know right at the beginning, he wants to tell the story well in an ordered fashion and he wants to bring out the points to uh, encourage new believers in the faith to keep walking mm, in what they're, yeah, what, right. what they're teaching. So we've covered chapters one to six over those last two, um, you know, episodes. Uh, you know, that covers, you know, the birth. Well, actually, it covers the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist mm-hmm. and Jesus. 
It covers their miraculous births. It covers Jesus's beginning of a public ministry in the hometown of Nazareth, their rejection of him. And then he moves to Galilee. They accept his teachings and he's able to do miracles. He is able to start calling the uh, apostles and begin his public teaching. Mm, yeah. That's where we're up to. We're, yeah. up to. we're up to now chapter seven. Yeah, that's right. So we've had the this Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, Yes, a plane and a mount. However, you want to <laughs> see that the plane um, halfway on the mount, and I think that f- there's an important flow on, and and structure is important, and this is something that already we've been emphasising a fair bit is is how Luke structures the events. Yes, different gospel writers structure events differently, and it's very significant. The message uh, is being conveyed through the structure as well as through the content. Yep. and Luke r- records as Matthew does some key elements of the of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's like the greatest hits of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. He has this bit about loving enemies. Mm-hmm. Now, get the sequence here. So, he's talked about loving enemies. He's talked about not judging others. He's talked about that, the, you know, the good tree is the tree that bears the good fruit, mm. okay? And then the wise and foolish builders, like the one that builds his house on the, on the rock. Yeah. And then... In chapter seven, we have this story, and, and then who exhibits all this? Exactly, so who exhibits? I love it. Who who is building their house on on the rock? Who exhibits the good fruit? Yeah. Who is the person who we would otherwise judge? Mm-hmm. Who is the person that we would otherwise <laughs> consider our enemy? Who, even though they're our enemy, might you know we might well judge? Okay, well, it's the Romans, isn't it? Yeah. And so we have a Roman centurion uh, who exhibits this great faith. Yeah, and. Um, Jesus and the you know the story goes that the centurion has this servant that's sick and and Jesus and and he exhibits this faith in Christ and 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 I love the fact that even um, and this is the mystery of of the human Jesus yeah. Jesus who is also God that when Jesus leading by example everything that he's just taught yeah. leading by example has this experience. Jesus is surprised. Like Jesus enters this, you know, I have not seen the faith like he is. He gets encouraged by it. So it's a great example for us to walk in that same way. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus is so often saying, oh, you of little faith (laughs) to the disciples, right? And then here in 7 verse 9, it says, when Jesus heard this, this centurion expressing this faith in the power of Jesus and who Jesus is in the the authority of Jesus, it said Jesus heard this, he was amazed at the centurion. Wow. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Wow. Like this wow. Roman centurion puts them to shame for, for faith. And it's hard for us with our modern minds to get the divide that stood between the Jews oh, yeah. and the Romans. Oh, yeah. Look, and this this centurion is, is well liked by the Jewish people. He's he's been a he's probably one of those people that had uh, was really drawn to the Jewish faith. Mm. Um but he still, there's still, he still represents yeah. someone who would otherwise be the enemy, and so this, I think, this is really, uh, really important transition from that element of the Sermon on the Mount straight to the Roman situation. It's like, okay, he gets it. Yeah. Now, do God's own people get this? And this is the, I mean, this is the interesting thing. As a, and I encounter this again and again as a pastor, that some of the most, some of the most open-hearted people are actually. It's not so much the Christians who have been Christians for twenty years, but it's it's the 
the guy that just walks into church for the first time <laughs> and is as just absorbent and and you know just oh man I just really sense the presence of God in yeah. the midst and and I'm thinking gee I didn't sense it that strong and I've been a you know it's like sometimes it's the it's the outsiders who actually experience it in a fresh and yes. vitalized way and 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 we need to regain that level yeah. of faith and childlikeness ah. again and again, and that's what we see here. Well, and, and, and to continue the story here through yeah. chapter 7, we're going to try to fly through some yeah. of these stories. Jesus then raises a widow's son. Yeah. That causes – so between yeah. these miracles that he's doing causes great popularity. People are talking about it all over the place. And word gets back to someone we've forgotten about all these chapters yeah. later, John the Baptist, who's in mm. prison. Yeah. Now John the Baptist has been put in prison by Herod. He's he's uh, you know um, enemy number one yeah. of the of the people. The Jews hate you know the Jewish ruling yeah. class hate him. Uh, the Jewish religious leaders hate him, and uh, Herod hated him as well because he was causing that big ruckus. And Jews, you know John, and we often see this portrayed by a lot of movies or preachers as a crisis of faith for John the Baptist. How do you, how do you give us a summary of the story and tell us your your, your interpretation, Matt? Yeah, so John's uh, John's in prison. He's been imprisoned by Herod. Um, look, uh, John is a prophet, but that doesn't mean he's omniscient. It, it, and he doesn't know everything. Yeah. I mean, he's still he's still human, and he has faithfully administered his ministry because he he is consciously ushering in. Uh, the new age of the kingdom. Mm. This is what John is ushering in, and the Messiah. Yeah. So, uh, does it wouldn't be surprising if John actually thinks that that Jesus is ushering in the kingdom in the sense of that he is going to be the king on earth. Yes. Uh, and and so perhaps feels that why isn't he coming and freeing me from prison? Yeah. Maybe John felt that that it was going to take that trajectory. Mm. Uh, look. You know, you, you, we, we can't elevate John to such a heavenly status that we, we forget about his humanity. Yes. So, so I'm okay with the, with this kind of struggle of yeah. John, and I think I think it is here. Uh, it, he's saying, "Are you actually the one?" Because it doesn't perhaps look like the kingdom that that I probably had in mind. Because the difference, he he obviously announces the kingdom, but he's not the one. John isn't the one that teaches on the nature of the kingdom. That's Jesus is going to mm. do that. Mm. And, and Jesus does that consciously knowing that these people as a whole, they need to understand some things about the nature of the kingdom. It's different from what the popular expectation yeah. is. So, it wouldn't be surprised if John delivers the message about the coming of the kingdom and of the king, of the yeah. Messiah, yeah. faithfully, but still doesn't quite uh, understand all of the details. Well, I, I, and, and again, reading it, reading it again, and I and immediately thinking about Old Testament prophets. Yeah. And... You know, because Jesus, you know, spoiler, Jesus goes on to say that, you know, John was the greatest of yeah. all the prophets. You know, you know, he eventually says that in the in, in you know in the in the witness of, of yeah. John's John's disciples and even Jesus' own disciples. A couple of the apostles were <clears throat> formerly John's disciples. Yeah, you yeah, know, John the right. Baptist's yeah, disciples. Yeah. So John, in this crisis of faith, or John in this dungeon, thinking about what God is doing, I felt the same sort of calling. Or the cries that you heard from the Old Testament prophets, or even from the Psalms. Yeah, God, what are you doing? Yeah, 
What great are you point. doing? Great point. Yeah, you know, Jesus, like, and John just had to be in that privileged position where it was his own cousin who's out there that he had seen all this stuff happening. It wasn't happening for him right now, and he's like, "What is going on?" Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, and, it's, and I, I felt a bit of an echo of those yeah. Old Testament prophets. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Yeah, so we need to. I mean, again, and those kinds of struggles yeah. are part of the of the journey of faith, aren't they? Amen. And we see that enshrined in the Psalms. Yeah. There's room for struggle there. And so we need to allow room for, for, for John's struggle here. And Jesus' answer is beautiful because yeah. possibly against a backdrop of feeling like, why aren't you coming in and, and dethroning Herod and, and setting me, f- maybe, uh, yeah. Jesus clarifies what sort of ministry this actually is yep. and he's reminding him and, and I love the way that he does this by alluding to some scriptures mm. about the coming of the Messiah yep. go back and he says in uh, uh, 722 go back report to John what you have seen the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed uh, you know and so he's forth basically quite quite a goes higher yeah, yeah that's right yeah um, the, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed uh, to the poor so he's, he's reminding John no, this is actually part of the messianic mission. It's not a mission of conquest mm. only, and and you know that's the that's what's up ahead still. You know, Revelation nineteen, the rider on the white horse. Mm. But he's reminding John. No, this is actually part of the messianic mission. It's a mission of healing. And it's a mission of grace. And it's a mission of mercy yeah. uh, before it's a mission of judgment. So he's just reminding John uh, of this. And so they go back, and he re- and and this is where he. Um, Talks about John and, and John as a prophet, yeah. and and it's, he does an yeah. amazing thing here. And this is a, the the beauty of this. It seems to be that this time of Jesus' ministry that we're reading about here in chapter seven is a really beautiful time for him and and the followers and stuff. Jesus does this amazing amazing thing here, where he he links, he praises John the Baptist, yeah, as not just a prophet but someone who's fulfilled. One of the prophecies, you yeah, know, yeah. he's not just like an Old Testament prophecy prophet. He's actually fulfilled an, a lot of Old Testament prophecies, but yet he's the beginning of this ministry. And all of you who went out to see him, are, you know, and listen to my words, yeah. are going to be even greater than him yeah. in the kingdom. And straight away, everyone goes, yeah, because they all went out and were baptized yeah. by John. Yeah. So he links the two ministries together yeah, and pushes right. it forward. It's amazing. He does. And and the first step there is to validate John, because John's in prison, and that doesn't indicate failure. That's the first thing. Yep. It, it, no, John hasn't failed. Um, he's he succeeded. It's just that, I mean, the problem uh, that is that people didn't listen to him, you know. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, some people did. So he, he validates John's status as a prophet. But yeah, he's that this uh, amazing um, section of teaching where he says that the is that here in Luke or is it just in Matthew um, that the least yeah the very uh, yeah I tell yeah. you um, uh, yet one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Yeah. In other words, this is the this is the amazing this is an amazing statement. Yeah, amazing. It's it's a statement about the kingdom of God. That Jesus is ushering in is such a big upgrade. Mm. It's like it's such a big up tr- upgrade that that the least under this new way of doing things <laughs> is gr- greater than the greatest under the old way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, this is a, this is like a Jesus saying, "I am ushering in something here yeah. that is beyond is, your wildest." Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's you know. It's it's an amazing and so, moment, and, yeah. and, and and then we get and I, you know I want to fast forward here, but yeah. we get that we get where the people who were part of John the Baptist movement, yeah, 
were, which is most of, by the sounds of it, most of the everyday yeah. people were like awesome. And the religious leaders who saw all of their structure being dissolved were like trouble. Yeah, that's right. So the, the question is who, I mean, you know, he's made this amazing statement about the, the, this kingdom of God that he's ushering. So the question, who is, who is going to be a part of this? Yeah. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers, teachers of the law were making it their business to make sure they were first in line. Yeah. And they believed that they were entitled to be first in line. And this is where we move to this next story. Amazing. Of the, uh, of the, they inviting. Simon, yes. Simon the Pharisee yeah. invites Jesus and all the Pharisees are there. And yeah. Jesus and probably all of his disciples yeah. are there. And uh, we get the amazing scene. And this is, you know, uh, you know recorded in other, pas- in other gospels yeah. as well, where a, a woman comes, and not just any woman, woman of questionable, yeah. you know, yeah. reputation comes and uh, anoints, uh, you know, Jesus, kisses Jesus. And well, well, she look, first of all, she's perceived as a sinful woman. Yeah. She – normally, there's no way a Pharisee would ever welcome someone like that in a house. Yeah. So, she kind of br- – it's like breaks in. Or sneaks in with the, with yeah, the rest of the, that's you right. know, dodgy disciples. That's right. And she, <laughs> you know, um, she – Pours this perfume uh, over over his feet, and yeah. I mean, there's some expense here. This is, you know, quite a act of of worship. Yeah, here. kissing um, and kissing right. and his feet, and washing his feet with his perfume. And this becomes, and just this, becomes this prophetic moment of of polarization. This is the effect that Jesus has. Yeah. He he polarizes people. You either he makes very clear who is going to be in and who's not going to be in. Yeah. And what we see here is. Um, is this, you know, it demonstrated that, well, this is the kind of person that's, it's the one who loves much, who has been forgiven much, the one who recognises how much they need Jesus. Mm. That is the kind of person. It's not uh, the one who's righteous by being right. It's the one who's righteous by realising that they're wrong. Yep. And they need mercy. Yeah. And he, and he goes, he, he does the same thing that he did before. The first thing that really offended the Pharisees, he does the same thing here. At the end of it, when he makes his point, he looks at the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. So this is a, I mean, you know, flowing from what we had before, this is an amazing statement of uh, of who who is going to be part of this? Mm. Who Who is, the, see, who is the the, who is part of this kingdom, the yeah. least of which is greater than the greatest under yeah. the old, because yeah. these Pharisees are under the old system. Yes, they're thinking, well, pretty much the greatest. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's face it; they're they're the top of the sort of the top of the and that, the tree in that. Uh, and he's saying, well, actually, no, John's the top of that tree, yeah. and he pointed to me. Yes, and by the way, let me just show you that you're actually not the top of the tree. Yeah, and this, this woman. She's the top of the tree, and not just any woman. This immoral woman who's who's got a reputation. Yeah. They don't get it. They're not seeing what God is doing right in front of them. Jesus then, you know, goes out with his followers. He, they are preaching the kingdom of God. And John, uh, sorry, John, Luke takes the time right now in the, in the beginning of chapter 8 to make a point of saying, hey, listen, on the back of that story, this is who is following Jesus. And there are a group of women who are following yeah. Jesus. I, as I said, I love the sequence of this. The sequence, I get so excited about the sequence because, you know, you've just had this amazing statement about this new kingdom. Who gets to be a part of it? This, this, you know, sinful woman. Mm. And then, well, then you get this section about 
oh, here, here are the people that follow Jesus. And they're actually, more than just following Jesus, uh, are the key supporters, actually, as well. So it talks about um, uh, among the, the twelve, as well as the twelve, and he names a whole lot of what names these yeah. This is, we need to recognize, this is actually very countercultural. Um, the, normally, women would be completely invisible, but they're yeah. drawn up to a level of visibility. Now, the interesting thing uh, about this is that not only is this countercultural, but it actually was, remember Luke's writing into a situation. We need to be conscious of what Luke is addressing as yes. well. So he wants to highlight things that are going to s- sort of uh, speak to that this early church context where women had key roles in yep. this, yep. like counterculturally key roles. Yep. Uh, and we know that. They were the hosts. They, they started the churches. Yep. You know, th- they were very key. And so... What Luke is doing is validating that, saying that's completely continuous with yeah. the way that it was under that Jesus, because actually these twelve disciples were actually supported by some key businesswomen here. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, 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 yeah, exactly. And it's the way that the church has been for two thousand years. Yeah, is that the, that you know uh, the church. You know, every, everyone's equal within the church, but it's a lot of times it's women who are stepping up and doing the actual yeah. supporting and the work and everything like that. Plus. I imagine Luke being able, like in all the research that he's done, he's probably got some of these stories from Joanna, yeah, yeah, from Susanna, right, yeah, from yeah. Mary. He's actually gone out and done the research because we're talking, you know, we're talking, you know, 20 to 30 years after all of these events yeah. happen. Luke is out there rec- recording it, talking to eyewitnesses, talking to them. And so some of these people here, some of these women, faithful women who are following Jesus and funding the ministry – you know, we're people that Luke That's was talking right. to. So it's, and, yeah. And if, I mean, even more significant, you know, there's this, this idea in, in first century Judaism, like, it, you know, like it was expected that men were the ones that kind of get it in terms of the word of God and the yeah. teaching of the, and, and they just sort of pass it on to the women because they, yeah. they you know, they're not really going to get it. They, I mean, that, that was the view. Yeah. But what this is showing is that, no, actually, it's the women that got it. Yeah. And we see that consistently throughout. It's often, it is often women yeah. that actually really first get it. It's, it. And again, it's part of the theme there of, of you know, in the Gospel of Luke that, you know, Jesus reads out of Isaiah, I'm coming to the poor. Now, it's not just poor financially. It's not just that. In fact, a lot of times the poor that, you know, Isaiah is talking about and the poor that Luke talks mm-hmm. about is those who are not in the mainstream, yeah. you know, elite. Yeah, that's you right. Know, yeah. And the women were definitely yeah. not part so of Jesus that. Jesus is this, continually yeah. reversing all of these all of these rankings. So, and, and remember the, the point here, and this is because where this goes from this point is important. So, it's all about we have this idea of this new kingdom. Who gets to be a part of it? There's this polarizing effect. The Pharisees have rejected it, and they're setting themselves against Jesus. You've got these women, including this sinful woman who yeah. gets it. Then what does Jesus teach? The parable of the sower. Yeah. And I love the fact that he does this at this point, because this is all about who gets it. Yeah. He tells this, uh, you know, this parable about a sower that goes out and sows the seed. So lots of people here. Mm-hmm. But not everyone gets it. Yeah. Only those with 
you know, receptive, malleable hearts actually get it. Exactly. And the point there, and we could spend a whole episode talking about the powerful parables that Jesus teaches. Um, And this is, I think, one of the most powerful teachings that he has. Not really a parable, because I imagine, you know, as he's teaching, they're probably watching you know, farmers well, well, out it, it's, it's a parable in the sense that he's using yes. those examples to illustrate something. But here's, a lot of people think that Jesus spoke in parables to make it clearer. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, that's not why he speaks. Uh, it, like, in one sense, yes. Yeah. It, it, it is to make it clearer to those who are willing to get it. Mm. But as Jesus points out here, because his disciples say, why are you talking in, in parables? Yeah. And Jesus says... Uh, he answers in verse 10 of chapter 8, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see yeah. and they hearing they may not understand. And he explains the parable to them to understand why that's the case. And, you know, and he goes on to say in uh, verse 18, whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Yeah. So it's like, if you're willing to listen you'll be given, in a sense, if your heart is malleable and soft enough to listen, then I will even soften your heart even more with my word. But if you're too hard-hearted to hear, if you're not willing to change, then the actual, this will even harden you further. Yeah. That's the point of that. An amazing point, amazing theme here. Let's let's really fast forward here in chapter 8. He then goes on, gives a parable of the lamp. His family come to see him. He says... You know, who are my family? Those and who are here. And straight out of, of course, we've been, because again, yep. who, who is with Jesus? Yep. It's those who listen. So, it's not about bloodlines right there. It's yeah, not yeah. a bloodline thing. It's not some sort of royalty. Anybody who wants to join my kingdom and listens, that's my family. That's right. They, it's the ones with the good soil who receive the word, yeah. They then, um, you know, go across the water. Jesus calms the storm, you yeah. know, rebukes his yeah. you know, disciples for not having enough faith. When they get to the other side of the uh, of, of the uh, the sailing, there uh, they get to you know the the classic story, well well known story of Jesus healing the demon possessed man who was living in the tombs, and the demons request to be sent into pigs, and that causes a big stir in the in the. You this know, is a li- I mean, well. The thing about these two stories together is this demonstrates the authority of the word. Yeah. So the question. So who are who belongs to Jesus? They are those with good hearts that receive the word. Yep. Why is that important? Because of the authority behind that word. And we see that authority. He commands the storm. Uh, now, it's on a lake and think of chaos and everything. Yep. He commands the chaos and it's quelled, Still, you yep. know. And and then we go, and I don't think, and the transition to, we meet a legion of demons. This yep. demonized man, a legion is thousands, right? Yep. Thousands yep. of demons that Jesus, with a word, Drives out and drives into pigs. Someone actually asked me recently, why pigs? Mm-hmm. What's the deal uh, with this? Well, look, the region of Gerasenes is um, is kind of south. It's in present-day Jordan. Uh, and at this time, it's in Gentile uh, territory. Um, that, uh, so, that they're pig farming. They're okay yeah. with, uh, with pigs. Uh, why pigs? Look, they were just there. Yeah. Um, and... But also, there's something around pigs being unclean, the unclean animals. That it, it, according to uh, Jewish food laws, definitely there may be some connection there. Mm. Why does Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? We actually don't know. It's such a they uh, they ask for that, and he yeah. 
permits that. Yeah. And then when the pigs drown, I mean, the pigs run off, they drown, the whole farm is ruined. So it ends bad. Yeah. It ends the demons go back to where they were, didn't want to go in the first place. So it's a really confusing, you know, it is, it is a confusing passage. It, but, it, but the point is, is that it demonstrates mm. the absolute sovereignty. Yeah. See, because remember, in, you know, we're, We've talked a bit about, uh, in Thrive Perspectives, you know, about this, the spiritual realm and God's authority over the spiritual realm. Yeah. And, and even they can't do anything without God allowing it. So, they have to ask permission of Jesus in order to enter these pigs. Jesus gives them permission, but it ends up being their demise anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but this is, the point of this is to demonstrate the absolute authority of Jesus, which that level of power mm. just freaks out. The people of this region, they yeah. said, "Please go away." Yeah, we don't want that much power of God in our no, midst. No. This is a, I mean, something sad. It's sad when this happens because there are points, and we saw this in Nazareth. Times when Jesus leaves, yeah, they wanted him to leave, so he says, "Okay, yeah. I'll leave. If you don't listen, I'll leave." And that's a really, yeah, I think that's an important point, and maybe that's the point of this. Why he let him in the pigs? Why it all happened? Maybe Jesus was going to bring out what was in their hearts. They didn't really want to have yeah. Jesus there. Yeah, you know, in 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 that authority, he ends up leaving. He tells the, you know, I feel so sad for the demon possessed guy because, yeah. you know, his whole life has been radically changed. He's listening to the teaching of Jesus. Yeah. He's spending time with with the crew there, and then when it's time for them to leave, he wants to come too. And Jesus says, "No, go back, go back yeah. to your family, yeah. go back to these people, and share with them, you yeah, know, what, right. what's happened there." Yeah. So he he then, and we finish up chapter eight uh, here with with two uh, stories of um, incredible faith. Yeah. Jesus responding to the faith of people. Uh, we get a, a, a daughter that's been that's died and, and, and gets raised, and we get the story of a woman uh, who has, you know, a woman who is bleeding, who reaches out in faith and, and, and grabs hold of Jesus here. Um, yeah, the, I mean, these stories are there as demonstrations of the magnitude of the power that has just been demonstrated. Yeah, I mean, all, all of these stories that the. the you know, the storm, dealing with a legion of demons. Uh, he has power over nature. He has power over the demonic world. Now he has power over death, you yeah. know, and disease. Yeah. So you've got four things. You've got nature, the spiritual realm, death, and sickness. Mm. These stories are put together to show that Jesus has complete authority over these. And again, to, all of these to, I love the symmetry here. At the beginning of the chapter eight, we get a little discussion about the women who followed Jesus, and at the end of chapter eight, we get these, you know, a girl and a, and a woman yeah. who are yeah. saved by Jesus, you know, type of thing. His ministry is to is to women as well, yeah. and the, and again, never ceases to amaze me this story, and you and it's painted so well by Doctor Luke in here. Everyone pressing up against Jesus, he's going on a mission to do something. And this one woman grabs hold of him. He, Jesus doesn't even see who it is, yeah. you know, type of thing. And again, it's that wonderful mystery of the humanness of Jesus, because yeah. as God, of course, he knows everything. Yeah. But he turns around to Peter and goes, okay, guys, who, who touched me? And they're like, who touched you? <laughs> We're all banging up against you. What are you talking about? And he goes, no, no. And you get that sense of, and depending on the translation, Jesus is like, no, no, someone deliberately touched me, yeah. wanting something, and I felt the power happened. You know, yeah, I felt yeah. it happen. And it's, oh, you're reading this going, what? It's, intriguing. it's what? an intriguing comment, isn't it? Yeah. And and then the lady owns up and says, you know, the thing, and he's like, done, you're, you're healed. Your faith has made you well. May, like, it boggles my human mind. I yeah. can't comprehend this. Yeah. 
and it's it's interesting to note how i mean just incidentally by the way uh it that happens on the way to a synagogue leader's house where he raises this yeah. girl from the dead so a synagogue leader so not everyone uh, high up in the Jewish hierarchy True. is rejected. There are a number of of leading, uh, you know, religious of number of religious leaders and leading people who do um, uh, beneficiaries of you know uh, of what Jesus is doing here. But the interesting thing, as we've said, we've talked about the authority. You know, storm. He stills the storm. His authority over nature. His authority over over the demonic. So authority, authority, authority. Yes. And then what happens in chapter nine? He delegates that very authority yeah. then is delegated. So it says he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons, cure disease, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal wow. the sick. Wow. So he's actually saying, this is the authority that you have, uh, not to just go out and do circus tricks, no. but in order to go out and and transform the lives of people for the kingdom of God. Yeah, you've seen it. You've seen it happening for these months, weeks, whatever it's been. Yeah. Now it's your turn. It's a great model of leadership. It's a great model of what Jesus wanted to do, and why we're even sitting here talking about it. All right, we're at a perfect point here to take a break. Uh, we're just starting chapter nine. Chapter nine is huge in the Gospel of Luke. Some important stuff happening. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment to continue through the Gospel of Luke on Thrive Deeper. It's your old buddy DJ here, and I hate to interrupt this great discussion in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, Matthew and I are just flying through these chapters of this amazing Gospel, but I've got something really exciting to tell you. Yeah, that's right. Ready? I want you to break out for an applause break. I want a few woohoos as I tell you this. The Sons of Korah app is in the app stores. That's right, the Sons of Korah app, everybody's favourite musical ministry, Sons of Korah, is finally got its own app in all of the app stores. Now, if you're new to the Thrive family and you don't really know much about the ministry, the extended ministry of Matthew Jacoby, now it must have been about... Oh, 25 years ago. You know what? I've got to find out the exact the exact starting date. But Matthew Jacoby and a few of his mates started the band Sons of Korah. And the band Sons of Korah uh, committed themselves to putting the Psalms that we find in our Bible to music. The genre of the music sort of fluctuates between world music styles, a bit of folk, jazz, sort of like epic sort of uh, acoustic-based music. They've been doing this for 25 years, travelling the world all over the place. An amazing band, an amazing ministry. And I can tell you, behind the scenes, we have been working on this app for a long time, and it's finally out here, and we are so excited. Now, you can get the app for 100% for free and check out everything about it. But if you want to take it one step further, we really encourage you to do this. If you've loved the group Sons of Korah and you really want to help them out in their ministry, become a subscriber through the app 
to the ministry. That's right. For a really low amount per quarter, you can subscribe in the app and you get access to everything they've ever done and a whole bunch of exclusive content. And we are working behind the scenes here to give you some really cool content. I've seen some of the stuff that's coming out and I'm so excited to be involved with it and bring it to you here in the app. So to get across this, head over to sonsacora.com or just go to your app store, whether that's an, on, on an iPhone or an Android device, go to your app store and search for Sons of Cora. You'll find the app there. You can download it for free. You might even see me on the forum forums within the app. That's right, there's forums within the app. There's so much great stuff about the Sons of Korra app that I want to let you know about it over the coming weeks. So stay tuned to that. All right, that's enough from me. Go check out the app Sons of Korra. And I tell you what, if you've never heard the band before and you've never heard Matt Jacoby sing with his band, you're in for a real treat. It's one of my favorites. But that's enough from me. Let's get back into the Gospel of Luke on this week's Thrive Deep. Thrive Deeper, episode 110. We're up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. And Matt, this is where things begin to change. Chapter 9 is absolutely a huge chapter from Luke here. There is so much going on. Um, We get right at the beginning, as you mentioned before the break, Jesus gives his uh, disciples the authority. He shows them what it means to walk in, you know, in his authority there. We get a a, a little tidy up little note about uh, Herod, John, and Jesus in chapter 9. We get the feeding of the 5,000. And then from the feeding of the 5,000, we get three three things that I really want to hone in on. Jesus... He gets this real intimate moment. I love this picture of Jesus sitting there with the disciples afterwards, his, his good friends, the people he's called. He's just done all this miraculous stuff. And he says to the guys, hey, what does everyone say about me? Yeah. What do they? What do they say? What do the What do the people say? Because you know, I, I, I find it such a human element. But he has a point in asking, and everyone says, "Oh, they say this. They say you're a you know resurrected prophet. You're reincarnated. Mm. This person. You've come in this spirit. You're this. You're that." And then he goes, "Yeah, but who do you say?" And Peter, being Peter, yep. stands up and gives an amazing declaration. Yeah, yeah. This is a very very key moment. Um, Matthew gives us more details uh, of this in Matthew sixteen. Uh, that because of course Matthew's speaking particularly to a Jewish audience, yeah. so he gives us some of that kind of detail. Um, but the, the the key thing here is that Jesus is the Messiah, but how they understand the Messiah mm. is is still a little unclear. So certainly it's commendable. Um, you know, Peter answers, "You are God's Messiah," um, but then Jesus has to clarify, "Yeah, but um, I'm not going to." Uh, win by winning in the way that you think winning yeah. is. It, it, he goes on to say, the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And they're probably sitting there going, a oh, cool parable. Wonder what this one, <laughs> what's that metaphor? Like, I, I, I really don't think that a lot of them was getting it at this point. No, like, no. Jesus. And in fact, from Matthew, I mean, you know, Peter reacts against this, yeah. as we know from Matthew 16. He says, no, this will never happen. He just can't, this, they can't conceive of this. And so, um, the, I think 
in Luke's con, you know, Luke is writing to a, a, an early church that is quite uh, beleaguered and and and, per, and persecuted, and uh, and in a sense, this is showing that this is continuous with with this, you know, and mm. and. Uh, we have this bit of teaching that follows that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is how I'm going to win it through self-sacrifice. This is how you need to win it. So remember, Peter has just declared, you are the Messiah, which means that the kingdom has come. So Jesus is clarifying, how is the kingdom going to come? Mm. It's going to come through sacrifice, through acts of sacrifice, not through Conquest uh, in the mil- you know military worldly conquest sense, um, it's going to come through you know and ultimately his Jesus act of sacrifice. But from there, as he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, take up their cross and follow me. You also need uh, to do the same. He goes on to say, forever wants to save their life will lose it. If you lose your life for me, you will save it. So it's like you need to become seed. You are the seeds. You are the seeds of the kingdom. Yeah, and. Uh, and it's all about sacrifice. And 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 in in this painting of a picture, like Jesus is now bringing them into the bigger plan. Like I am going to die for this. This is what's going to happen here. This is a different Messiah than what you're expecting. So about a week later, Jesus brings his inner his inner three, yeah. his three yeah. very best friends, yeah. James, John, and Peter, and says, you know, listen, come with me up here. You know, yeah. these guys are getting weary. And we get the transfiguration of, of, of right. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. And it shows them, at least, oh, this is not what we were thinking. This is not yeah. not we expecting. So the transfiguration is um, an amazing, an amazing um, you know, glimpse into this alternative dimension, the actual oh, reality, yeah. where Jesus is. And I think, I think, Matt, you might be able to speak to this. I've, I, read, I read it in passing that the word here talking about the the bright light coming out yeah. of Christ is the only time this word is used. You know, it can yeah. be translated glistening and it's uh, yeah. this light emanating. Yeah. And then appearing next to him is uh, is Moses and Elijah yeah. on this mount to talk about yeah. the plan that is coming. Yeah, that's right. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, in other words, this is all – I mean, can you imagine the roller coaster ride that these guys are on, right? So, Jesus has talked about suffering and dying, and you need to be prepared to suffer and die, and, and don't ever be ashamed of me, you know? I mean, he's thinking particularly ahead when they're all going to scatter once yes, he goes yep. into trial. Yep. Um, and, and even the temptation for the early church, you know, to stand up for – as Paul says, you know, the, the, the cross is, is foolishness to the Greeks. Yeah. You know, am I going to stand up for that? You know, this is Jesus saying, you need to stand with me on this. So they're thinking, oh, you know, there's this downer, right? And then they have this vision of yeah. Jesus in his heavenly glory. No, this actually, he is the heavenly Messiah, nevertheless. Yeah. And, and this is part of the plan, yeah. which is very clear as he's speaking to Moses and Elijah, who were the so two these two key um, Old Testament figures, um, and even the way that that flows. So they have has this amazing kind of uh, this insight they have into the majesty of Christ, uh, and then that goes into this other um, uh, this other episode about you know this demonic thing. Notice how yeah. this keeps coming up. Yeah, uh, this this. Um, this demonic issue, and um, here it seems the disciples can't do do anything about this. 
And Jesus laments this, you know, as opposed to the centurion, remember, he says, you know, I was amazed at his faith. Yet Jesus says, oh, you unbelieving perverse generation, how long will I put up with you and bring your son here? You know, it's like he he is, um, uh, you know, lamenting their slowness to believe. Look, they get there. Yeah. As we know from the book of Acts that Luke also <laughs> writes, they certainly get there, yeah. um, but uh, it's a slow road at this it's, stage. It is, it is. So, Jesus, you know, from the transfiguration, uh, we get the demon-possessed boy. Jesus again talking about his death. He talks about the kingdom. Uh, they get an unusual, you know, little story about somebody using the name of Jesus, which is really interesting in the light of the demon-possessed boy. And then, and then, closing out chapter nine, we get. We Let get me just make one comment yeah, there yeah, yeah. In, in the middle, because th- these predictions of Jesus' death, he just has to keep reminding them of this. Mm. They're having an argument about who's going to be the greatest. Like it's like who's going to get when when he is enthroned as king, like in a couple of weeks' time, yeah, yeah. and and we rule the world in a couple of years' time. Yeah. Who's going to be the second in charge? Who's going to be the third? And Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't get it. That's not the sort of kingdom that I'm ushering in. You need to become like little children, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to win. And th- But you can understand why this is so hard. Are we really going to win like that, yeah. like by becoming little children? And Yes, that's the way it's going to work. I love I love how uh, transitioning out of chapter 9 here right at the end there, they get some op- opposition from Samaritans as they're beginning to move. Jesus now moves from this ministry around Galilee with his team. Yeah. He's got his team together. They've done a lot of these amazing things around Galilee for for quite a quite a long time and now he he knows that the next part of the mission is moving towards Jerusalem, yeah, moving right. towards yeah. his death. And I love the way that Luke sets this up in chapter 9, verse 51. In the New Living Translation, it says, As the time drew near for his return to heaven, yeah. Jesus, and I just love that fact that like Luke, Luke speaking, yeah. to, speaking to the early church, says, Now remember Jesus... You know yeah, where he came from and where he was going. Yeah, that's where right. he's going. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we get this story about the Samaritans rejecting him, not wanting him to come through there. He then talks about the cost of following. Uh, well, well, it's actually all, all of these accounts. Samar- so the Samaritans reject him. Then there's so what we have here is there's a number of people in a row who won't follow. Yeah. So that's what because yeah, th- then we have you know man walking along a road. Man said to him, "I will follow you wherever you go." What the cost? Jesus is. says, "Are oh, you realize it? Yep. Here's the cost. Here's the cost." Another man, uh, you know, Jesus says to another man, "Follow me." But if he says, "Oh yeah, but I first got to no no," is either all in or not yep. now or and so you get this this these stories that talk about those who aren't willing to follow, which mm-hmm. leads into chapter ten, where you get the story that. Okay, even though there are lots of people who weren't willing to follow, at this stage we have 72 who are willing to follow. Exactly. And Jesus sends them out. It's like if you're willing to follow, this is a message that because, I mean, because he empowers them. Yeah. Jesus, basically what this is saying, if you are really willing to commit, like really willing to put your hand to the plow and not look back, this is the authority that you get equipped with. Yeah. And that's what we see as we move into chapter 10. Amazing. And again, the account there of chapter 10 with the 72 followers that is, you know, he calls them 72 disciples here, them going out, coming back, Jesus teaching them. And then we get the, we get a, we get a a religious, uh, an expert in religious law coming up to him and really being insightful with Jesus and Jesus having a really interesting discussion. 
you know, Jesus says, look, how are you interpreting the book of Moses? How are you interpreting the law? And the man replies, look, you must love the Lord. And he repeats the right thing. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've got it. You've got it. But but hang on. You've almost got it. So who, you know. But but there's an out clause for this guy. This is great. Which one? But let me, who is your neighbor? Like it says to do all this stuff, but who are you supposed to do it to? And the guy goes, "I I don't know. And that's and so Jesus obviously seeing his heart then goes into yeah. Well, he asked Jesus, "Well, who is my neighbor?" Yeah. See, this is this is the thing. This is a guy that knows the truth, yeah. but he he's giving him excuses not to follow it. Yeah. So he's interpreted this in a way that means that yes, I know that the scripture says I have to love my neighbor, but I'm going to interpret this in a way that I don't have to love anyone I don't like. Yeah. Yeah, and and so Jesus tells the parable. And you, and I love the fact you can. Around. I get the sense that Jesus is drawing this out of this man. The reason why the man is even talking to Jesus because he knows that this is yeah. this is the issue. And so Jesus gives us one of the most beautiful, well-known parables of all time. Yeah. One of the great story, yeah. the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And interesting in light of the fact that they had just been rejected by one of the Samaritan villages, That's right. and and the, and they were the arch enemies of the Jewish people. I yeah. mean, they they were. Um, there'd been this, you know, constant opposition between Jews and Samaritans. They had rival temples, um, you know, Samaritans. I mean, there, there was so much, it was such an acrimonious relationship yes. between this. So, this is the ultimate example of, of your neighbour being your worst enemy, yeah. and that's who you need to love. And it's funny, in, in, in today's mindset, we might think about this, you know, I've heard some preachers want to bring out a, rela- a racial element to yeah. it, like, you know, you might talk about the colour of someone's skin or something like that. Look, that that is part of it. I don't really think that's what the what Luke meant or even Jesus meant of it. No. You can imagine whatever that person in your mind, whatever the other is in your mind, politically, uh, motivationally, spiritually, religiously, yeah. all of those things is wrapped up in that thought of the Samaritan. Yeah, that's the right. The Samaritan was the ultimate other for the Jewish person, yeah, and right. especially for this person who's a guy who is a Jew who's studying religious law. Jesus has put his finger right yeah. on the source spot yeah, that's right. yeah. of what it's all about. Yeah. So to to understand the last that last section um, about Mary and Martha, yeah. it, it, important to point out that the issue at this point is who who is part of this? Like whose um, whose name? And to go back to the because you know when the disciple when the seventy two come back from going out you know, with the with Jesus' authority and they're casting out demons and they're saying, Wow, look at all the great stuff we can do. Jesus says, Now be very careful here. Yeah. Like be super, super careful. Don't rejoice in the power that you have. Yes. Rejoice in the grace that you have. Yeah. And the fact that your names are written in you know, um uh, that your names are written in heaven. Okay. So yeah. and and he says, because 'cause I've and you know, he says, Thank you, God, that you've revealed these things to little children. Okay. Yeah. So Again, it's this thing of who is going to be a part of this. Well, there's the parable of the Good Samaritan, which indicates that, well, your neighbor actually might have this better. Your Samaritan neighbor might actually get this yes. better than you do. Yeah. Um, so, so don't exclude them. And then, you know, who gets it? Uh, it's not in this last story in the house of Mary and Martha. Yeah. You know, Mary's in the kitchen. Again, it's the, it's the, Martha. it's, so Martha's in the kitchen. Um, it's again an interesting theme here of the the, the theme of women again yeah. in, in Luke's yes. gospel. Yes, because again Luke is speaking to a church where women are very prominent, and he's really validating that prominence. Yeah, um, because of course in those days very much women were in the kitchen. The men actually sit 
at the feet of Jesus. This sitting at the feet of Jesus thing is actually this is that was the posture of disciples yeah. of rabbis. Mm. Now they were only ever males yeah. were disciples of rabbis. Okay, yeah. the women in this culture they belonged in the kitchen. The men are with the rabbi sitting at the feet of the rabbi. This is how this works. Now, Mary, Martha's complaining yeah. because Mary not only is not helping in the kitchen, but she's in there at the with sitting the, with, with the guys <laughs> at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And she's saying, Jesus, can you correct this? And he's saying, no, I'm actually going to correct you. She's exactly where she should be. Yeah. It's yeah. so, it's oh. so, it's countercultural, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. And it show, and it shows you the deep relationship, even the even the gentleness in the way that uh, he talks to both Martha and yeah. Mary. The way that he talks to them is so, you yeah. know, so special, and, yeah. and you know, it's it's rebuking but still loving. He does it in such a, a, a beautiful way. Right, we're up to chapter eleven. This is where we wanted to get to in in this episode. Try to get through chapter eleven here in mm. the book of Luke. And again, I said there's a lot happening in chapter nine, chapter eleven. There's yeah. a lot happening here as well. Jesus teaches in prayer. He gives the classic Lord's Prayer here, or Luke's version of it here. Mm. He then goes into, uh, talks about, um, uh, you know, a lot of teaching about prayer. And we get a, I believe we get a really key moment here in chapter 11 mm. where Jesus is doing what he does, is casting out demons yet again. And this time the religious leaders come out and say, it is by the power of Satan that he yeah. is able to cast out these demons. <laughs> yeah, and Jesus what, seems to yeah, snap. That's right. Yeah. Jesus snaps here. He's not putting up with this anymore. Because what else can they really say? I mean, this is the thing that they're, they're clearly, like, he's clearly wielding uh, significant power here, yeah. and and they've got to explain. Well, how can he do these things? And so they have to attribute this. Uh, to say now, one of the things that he's been doing is driving out demons, and so his point is, uh, a house divided against itself will fall. Like if Satan's house is divided against it, then it's yeah. going to fall. Yeah. Um, now, the interesting thing here is that I think this is also a bit of an allusion to the fact that at this stage, the, Jude- the situation within 100%, Judea was 100%. so div- what they actually were a house divided in, within yeah. themselves, and as we know from the Jewish wars from sixty six to seventy AD, uh, and even a little bit beyond, we we see that they fell because they were so divided. They fell yeah. to the Romans, and Jesus sort of preempts this. So they were uh, a house divided against themselves, and and in a sense, their division. Um. It's almost like Satan got his way because he was able to exploit that d- division. Exactly. Well, got his, you know, was allowed to, again, yes. because this is under the sovereignty of God, and Jesus predicted that the destruction of, of Jerusalem would happen in 70 AD. But this is, in a sense, allowed to happen, uh, and they are allowed to be plundered, in a, you know, in a spiritual and a physical sense because yeah. they're a house divided against themselves. So, it's really interesting um, – Interesting title here too for Satan, Beelzebul. Yeah, um, it's a uh, it's Lord of the Flies. Isn't yeah, it? Lo- yeah, Lord of the Flies. Um, th- there's a few different possible origins related to Baal. You yeah. know, the Baal is the great nemesis. Yeah. Um, in uh, in in the Old Testament, so you know, th- there's some connection there. So, so Jesus goes on, does does some teaching, but he really the tone shifts with Jesus here. Once they've made that accusation, you'll see a, a real shift. 
in Jesus, and it, and it culminates at the end of chapter eleven, where he's invited yet again by the Pharisees to to, to eat yeah. with them, and man. Boom! He goes talk about being the worst dinner dinner party guest of all time. Uh, you know, <laughs> he just gets up and goes right. You guys have lost the bloods. You yeah. are you are the reason why all this is happening. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. He goes on. Well, they've, they've th- see they've thrown down. Once they actually say you are doing these yes. things by the power of Satan. I mean, this yeah. is actually where he issues this. Uh, it's in this context that he issues this warning about the the. Um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit yes. that he goes on to talk about uh, because they've actually set themselves so persistently against, yeah. you know, because he says, you know, if you reject, uh, where is that here? Um, uh, let me just find it. He talks about uh, rejecting the. Oh no! This is actually into chapter twelve, which is still the culmination yep. of this, yep. and we'll we'll get we'll look we'll get into this next week. But this is they have actually. You know, they, they have resisted the Holy Spirit so persistently yep. that they are have, in a sense, um, pronounced the death sentence, spiritual yep. death sentence, on themselves. So, so Jesus, in a sense, is this is kind of the it's almost like the end of the road for them, and this is where where it really. Jesus ups the ante. I mean, he talks about this wicked generation. Oh. You know, um, he, he, he goes on. The thing, the thing, I, I'm amazed at the end of chapter 11. Here is he goes hard on the Pharisees. He really rebukes them, and then he finishes. And then you can hear alongside the Pharisees are the teachers of the religious law, who are slightly, you know, separate sort of class. Yeah. And they're like, "Hey, dude, you're, you're sort of dragging us in there." And he goes, "Oh, yes, I am." And like he just goes for them as well. Yeah. It's, it, it's a super awkward moment because he is—he's—he's been invited to dinner, yeah. and he stands up at the table and he gets absolutely stuck in. I mean, if the disciples were sitting at the table, they must have just had their head in their hands, thinking, "What, what is he what doing?" But they're probably wanting him to win over, yes. still win over. Yes. He's been Invited, uh, and try can, and win these people over, and you can sense. And this is might be me reading it into it, and because I am a Pharisee in my heart of hearts, I sort of, I sort of, you know, root for the Pharisees sometimes. And the fact that they're inviting Jesus in, you go, oh, there's something there. They want to get something. They want to learn something and everything. But Jesus sees through their hearts that they're not yeah. going to accept it, and he wants to. And the other thing is, he knows the end. He knows yeah. what the end is going to be. And from that from that dinner party that is awful, the Pharisees then are like, "Well, we got to do something yeah. about him." And Jesus uses an illustration actually to uh, address their condition. Yeah. Uh, he says in um, in verse thirty four of chapter eleven, oh. "Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your your body is full of darkness." Now, now this is talking about this very situation because they're not letting the light in. This is the thing. Yeah, they're, it's it's this idea of seeing spiritual seeing, which yeah. is a and um, you know idea of spiritual sight and light are very important symbols mm. here, uh, and and in fact f- within Judaism. So he's using this to say you're not letting in the light. You're actually full of darkness, yeah. and you're meant to be the people that are guiding people yes. towards the light. But you are full of darkness. I tell you, I tell you this, and this partners with uh, Matthew's chapter six twenty two. I think it yeah. is. If you go to um, you know that passage, that's the you know a similar teaching here that Jesus talks about the light, and he, and, he, and it's and it's a beautiful thing where Jesus is. 
he, Jesus talks about, he gives the, he gives the uh, illustration quite often of you don't hide your lamp yeah. under a blanket. You don't hide a lamp under, yeah. your, t- under your bed. You don't hide your yeah. blank lamp under a, under a basket. Yeah. Now, the lamp, obviously is the word of God. Yeah. I mean, the lamp is the word of yeah. God. It, it, it brings light to all these situations. Yeah. So he's talking about this external light, but in but then he goes, okay, that's one scenario, but let me tell you about a different type of the light that is in. You can't even see yeah. the light because the what you consider light is actually darkness yeah. inside you. Yeah. It is, I tell you, this is one of the most rebuking yeah. passages that comes to mind for me so often because I hear the words of Christ so often thinking, gee whiz, and what am I, what am I extolling? What am I holding up? What am I saying is God's way? Is it the darkness within me that is drawing me to this? Or am I actually seeing the light here? Yeah. And it's something that I, I, mm. these passages are, whoa. Yeah. Well, Jesus' complaint here is that they are they have put a bowl over this light. They are actually, yeah. you know, they're covering, because they're, they're meant to be the teachers, yeah. but they've actually obscured the truth. Mm. Um, they've put a bowl over the light. Mm. You know, as he says to them, you don't enter the kingdom. That's, as, you know, when he, when he rebukes them yes. with one rebuke after another uh, at the end of chapter 11, one of them is you don't enter and, 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 and you, you shut stop, other people and out. And you stop yeah. other people from entering. Yeah. And, I, and, and again, this is where, you know, we've got we to wrap up with time. And I, you know, I, I let you do the application, Matt, as the, as the pastor on this podcast. But I tell you, the application of this passage to my life, and this is what Luke is doing for me at the moment. You know, the words of Jesus all these years later, you know, through through the Gospel of Luke, is I'm allowing these words to really cut through my yeah. heart. Because sometimes I think we read these passages, if we've grown up in the yeah. church, we read them again and again. We know the story. We know who the bad guys are. We know who the good guys are. And we don't let Jesus' words cut through mo- right, our own yeah. hearts. That's right. Because there are so many times in my life where I have held up Things that are darkness, and I've said that they are light. Mm. Even good things, yeah. even yeah. things that are you know good. And if we can get to the place where we can allow ourselves to be in mm. the place that we can receive the light yeah. that Jesus wants, this is what Jesus is doing with these yeah. religious teachers. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. And so often in my life, I don't get it either. Yeah. And one of the most important real- realizations for me in my journey with God is recognizing that the darkness in me does not want to know the light. Oh, amen. That, that is, that there is, it is this internal resistance that I find that actually I can't break that down. I have to actually pray and ask God amen. to break that down. Yep. And, and you know, what Jesus is saying here is that the darkness within you is resisting the light. Mm. And, this there's there's such a solemn warning in this for us is that we need above all we need to be filled with the light of God even if it hurts like you need to see the worst in yourself you need to allow to see where you're wrong where you're at fault where you, and these are the very things that we most don't want to see and that's even beside you know it's like because we've read about all this demonic stuff that's hidden there in the darkness and Jesus draws all that out into the light you know so there's that dimension as well like the darkness does not want to 
be exposed to the light because light dispels darkness, right? Now, I think what happens is that we hold on, you know, we hold on to the darkness within us when what Jesus is looking for is a posture where we completely open ourselves up and to say, I want to know the truth even if it kills me. tell you what, those chapters, I know we covered a lot on this week's episode of Thrive Deeper, but those last few chapters, 9, 10, and 11, oh my goodness, they move me every time. And I tell you what, they convict me as Jesus is speaking every time I get through them. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Looking forward to getting to uh, more of the Gospel of Luke in a fortnight. And don't forget, head over to sonsofcora.com to check out Matthew and his band's brand new app. You can access all of the music and become a supporter of this amazing musical ministry. Been going for 25 years plus. I've got to find out the actual amount of years they've been going. So I'll get... (laughs) I'll get on to that and I'll let you know next time. So sonsacora.com or thrivetoday.tv if you want to contact us about the podcast. Well, until next fortnight, it's DJ here. And behalf of the gang, we say thrive. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.